for joining Cyber Center of Excellence for Cyber Insiders. This 10-part series features a star-studded lineup of San Diego business leaders from various industries who will share their biggest challenges and lessons learned when facing cybersecurity threats. If the pandemic taught us anything, no sector is spared from these costly breaches. New challenges increased by remote working and the global shortage of qualified cyber professionals present critical security issues for companies large and small. We'll hear insights and lessons learned from thought leaders in some of the region's key sectors, starting with defense, maritime, life sciences, and more that will help all companies better prepare for the systemic risk. Welcome back to Cyber Insiders. Kevin Danino here on the mic, and we are going to tackle um, a really interesting topic today that focuses on cybersecurity challenges and lessons learned in the food and agriculture space, which, as you can imagine, with California and the San Diego region being massive, massive enterprises and supplying um, this whole country with food and agriculture resources. So to that end, I have two awesome guests today um, to introduce our, our, our listeners to. Um, the first is we're, we're super excited to bring Nick Arico, who is Supervisory Special Agent with the FBI here in San Diego. Um, Nick, would love to learn a little bit more about your background and role at the FBI. Uh, thank you, Kevin. Uh, first, I'd like to say what a pleasure it is to be in such distinguished company. Kevin and Carlos, thank you for allowing me to participate in the discussion today. Currently, um, as you mentioned, I'm the Supervisory Special Agent for the National Security Cyber Squad at the FBI here in San Diego, California. Uh, I have the honor and privilege of leading a team of intensely driven and highly talented group of investigators, analysts, and computer scientists that carry out the FBI's cyber mission. Our focus is on nation state cyber actors, predominantly China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea, that are conducting computer network exploitation, or we refer to as CNE, hacking app operations against individuals, companies, and organizations and agencies of the United States. Their goal is to steal intellectual property, proprietary trade secrets that will give them an economic or military advantage on the global stage. Their actions threaten the lives of US citizens and the economic and national security of the United States. So our mission is to disrupt and hold accountable those bad actors. Uh, I've been with the FBI for 18 and a half years working many violations, but predominantly cyber. I have a master's degree in cybersecurity. And prior to joining the FBI, I was a network engineer and technical manager for a software development company in Tucson, Arizona. So I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And thank you again for, for everything that you're doing to help keep us safe. Uh, definitely no shortage of, of uh, opportunities from those bad actor types. Um, you know, when it comes to cybersecurity. Um, I also wanted to welcome to the stage here, Carlos Gaitan, who's co-founder and CEO of Benchmark Labs. Um, Carlos, we appreciate you having having you on the program. would love to learn a little bit more about your background and, and role in, at Benchmark. Yeah, thank you very much for this opportunity, Kevin, and uh, happy to be again in this uh, uh, Cyber Insights uh, podcast. Uh, and thank you, Nick, also for being part of this episode. Uh, we are pretty honored to, to be here. About my background, uh, uh, I'm a civil engineer by training, but also was uh, involved uh, in training of cybersecurity in my time with the Department of Commerce, uh, where we uh, were actively attacked uh, by different actors, as Nick can attest, 
uh, on a daily basis. Uh, that made me realize of the vulnerability of our systems. And then I moved to the private sector, uh, working hardware companies, uh, consulting companies. And uh, then we created Benchmark Labs to work in especially, especially agriculture uh, to serve uh, better uh, natural resources management for uh, growers uh, globally. Uh, and then we are uh, very interested in this topic of cybersecurity as we integrate with IoT devices that we might even uh, talk about it during this episode uh, and link with uh, analytic ledgers and uh, user uh, authorization tokens that uh, are very important uh, to keep a secret and uh, manage effectively. So thank you again for the invitation. Of course, this will be a this will be a pretty unique and interesting conversation for sure. And so, just to to set the stage for our listeners, there's some pretty interesting stats here, particularly in here in California. the The food and agriculture industry um, provides a third of our nation's vegetables, and and I didn't realize this, but two thirds of all fruit and nuts in the United States come from California. So naturally, with a huge food source comes some significant risk as well. And, and lo and behold, um, the ag industry here in California is a global target for cyber attacks. Um, so much, though, that Agpo a few months ago, which is a, a top U.S. agriculture firm, they got hit by a ransomware attack. It impacted production. Um, and last year, JBS, the large meat packer um, processing company, had about an $11 million ransomware attack um, that they got caught into. So um, naturally, Nick, I, I think of you when I when I hear these huge um, ransomware attacks and large sums of money, um, clearly the FBI has been involved in seeing this. So what are you seeing at the FBI as far as key threats that impact the, the food and agriculture industry um, that really all companies should be aware of? So, Kevin, that's a, a great question, and I, I think the answer is not going to surprise anyone. The food and agriculture industry are vulnerable to the same threats all organizations are experiencing today. However, they're unique in that their industry is continuously looking for new ways to streamline operations, to address labor shortages or drought conditions. The results an increase in automation and the merging of information technology or IT and operational technologies, OT technologies. As more Internet of Things devices are incorporated into the ecosystem, it increases an organization's attack surface, making them more vulnerable to the cyber threat actors. So in addition, the food and agricultural industry have a very, very low tolerance for downtime, and threat actors know this. As a result, we're seeing cyber attacks, particularly ransomware operations, being carried out during critical planting and harvest seasons. In 2021, the FBI noted this trend during ransomware attacks against six grain cooperatives during the fall and two additional attacks in early 2022. Now, we believe that cyber actors perceive cooperatives as lucrative targets with a willingness to pay due to the time-sensitive role they play in agricultural production. In addition to ransomware, which is arguably the number one threat to critical manufacturing, we know that cyber espionage and nation state actors are keen on stealing intellectual property and trade secrets of the agricultural industry. Like even simple farming processes and canning and packaging technologies 
are of vital interest to China, Russia, and Iran, whose lands are not as conducive for farming and agricultural. And, and finally, industrial IoT attacks are on the rise as the agricultural industry moves further towards automation and, and robotics. IoT devices are typically designed without security in mind and create a greater risk of being compromised and exploited. We also commonly see misconfiguration issues and vulnerabilities of IoT uh, devices that are introduced by the user during the operation or installation phase of a device, which leads to a breach or a compromise. So these, I know I only mentioned three, but these uh, are you know, at least uh, threats that every organization, every company should have on their radar. You know, it, it's interesting, Nick, um, you know, because I was going to ask you just in terms of sort of, you know, what is the MO of these nation states when it comes to, you know, kind of messing with the ag space? Is it, is it, and I, I know you mentioned sort of the, it's interesting, sort of the canning secrets, but, you know, it, is it, is it more than just disrupting the supply chain? Um, you know, as well, like, I guess what I'm asking is, is it, is it really worth all the, all the hoopla to, to disrupt this if you're a, a China or Russia or a nation state? Uh, absolutely. At least from, from a nation state perspective, and particularly from China and, you know, and Russia, right, they, they don't have the ability to develop the types of farming technologies on their own. And they're always looking for, they're relying, and they hate to rely on the United States and other countries for the importation of their food. So if they can steal the technologies that are being utilized by our farmers today, or by our agricultural manufacturers, then that gives them the ability to bring those types of operations in-house and not being reliant on outside third-party resources. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, and Carlos, in terms of IoT, and I know we'll talk in greater detail about it. What are what are you seeing at, at Benchmark just in terms of, you know, how AI and, and IoT plays a role um, in this ecosystem as a whole as well? Oh, thank you. Great question. And uh, to follow with uh, Nick's argument, I think that IoT devices uh, for sure are going to become more ubiquitous globally, not only in the United States. We see a hockey stick uh, growth trajectory of IoT devices. We know that only 1% of arable land is currently instrumented and uh, using data from uh, Berkeley has uh, um, of the CleanTech to Market program last year, uh, they identified that there are already 22 million IoT sensors deployed in agricultural land. So uh, basically that means that there are 22 million uh, potential vulnerabilities. Um, that opens the door for uh, many different uh, actions uh, that you can take as an end user. Uh, sometimes the actions uh, could be to protect yourself, protect your information, uh, but uh, uh, to go back to the original question of vulnerabilities, uh, sometimes the users are not even aware that they are uh, creating a vulnerability by allowing that IoT device to be always connected on the internet publicly, for example. They could think that it's a great service to the, to the world, but in reality, anybody in the world, <laughs> including bad actors, could have access to that and control, control those IoT devices. And IoT devices could be anything, could be a soil moisture sensor, a leaf wetness sensor, could be a drone, could be, you know, even there are thermometers in our cell phones nowadays. And uh, I see from the perspective of agriculture, 
that uh, there are smart machineries. We're talking about self-driving tractors uh, that have IoT devices to control uh, temperature, uh, pressure, uh, even how to cut uh, vision, machine vision uh, cameras uh, that could be accessed remotely if the security settings are not set uh, appropriately. So uh, that's how, how I see the vulnerabilities of the sector. And uh, it's also a call for actions for the users to to be a little bit more uh, aware uh, that they might be vulnerable because uh, as Nick mentioned before, there are actors that actually would like to have access to that information that sometimes our growers consider that it's a given and they have been doing that for decades, but that's a case in this country, not everywhere in the world. So Carlos, if, if you know, you're, you know, let's say I'm a, you know, I'm a farmer running a, a huge sort of fruit and nut operation and, in central California, what, what lessons can I, you know, and, and I'm purchasing all sorts of equipment to your point about, um, you know, IOT devices, whether they're sensors, thermometers, even autonomous vehicles, which we're definitely shifting to what lessons or, you know, kind of tips would you recommend to on a practical level, really to, you know, sort of executives and, and owners involved in the space to, to help mitigate um, a potential vulnerability and threat as well? That's a fantastic question. And uh, in reality, I think that uh, it is hard in agriculture uh, as it is now. There are very thin margins of operation. And uh, I am very appreciative for the farmers that are already investing in IoT uh, technology because that improves their operations. Uh, but I, what I would like to raise the, the flag here. It's uh, that not all the IoT providers are created equal or they all care about uh, security or uh, data provenance, how the data is transferred, uh, how the data is stored. Uh, and that um, you know there are solutions that range from $100 to $20,000 easily for the same type of sensors. But uh, sometimes you have to invest heavily if you want to uh, protect your data more accurately. Uh, sometimes it happens even with uh, um, you know telephone companies here, like phone companies that have been banned in the United States because it's not clear <laughs> if they save the data and they transmit it who knows where. So uh, IoT devices are not different. They have uh, microprocessors, they have a storage in it. And uh, sometimes you have to go and dig a little bit deeper in the technical specifications of the accuracy of the measures, but also how the data is transmitted, how the data is transmitted, and uh, if you can have control on those levers, if you can pick up your own, uh, for example, a cellular network or Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, and uh, that opens a, a very different conversation. You know? Absolutely, and, and Nick, to, to your end, in terms of maybe what you've seen in the field, um, you know, what, whether, whether it's farms or, you know, meat packers, et cetera, um, anything that maybe you've seen over the years that, you know, seem, might seem obvious, but in terms of a recommendation to, to, to recommend to, to folks in the ag space when it comes to some of these devices that are more and more now connected to the, to the internet? Yeah, um, obviously IoT is definitely uh, something that we're going to see, you know, continued in the manufacturing, you know, sphere. And so 
those are difficult. And as I mentioned before, and as Carlos reiterated, right, they're generally not designed with, uh, with technology in mind and, and definitely not with security in mind. And so because they, they, they represent an access point for an adversary, um, we always obviously recommend that you um, determine exactly um, where they're coming from, right? And if, if that IoT device is developed in the United States, there's a better chance potentially that uh, they, they do have some, rec um, some requirements, in or some security requirements. But if that device is purchased abroad, you know, China or some other place, uh, those types of security mechanisms are definitely not going to be in place. So obviously understanding the types of hardware that you're purchasing and incorporating into your network is going to be a crucial step uh, in shoring up your cybersecurity posture. What about what about any other resources that you might suggest? I mean, a, a lot of these, a lot of these, you know, whether they're farms or plants, et cetera, the reality is they're very much still sort of a small and medium sized kind of business operation that probably doesn't have too much of a keen eye to, you know, information technology, et cetera. So are there are there resources out there um, that they can lean on um, in terms of preventing some of these things? Uh, absolutely. And so, you know, I can tell you from an investigative perspective and kind of working with companies that have suffered a data breach or network intrusion in the past, even with the decades of being exposed to phishing campaigns, email is still consistently the number one vector for an adversary to gain, gain access to a system or compromise a network. <clears throat> so first and foremost, uh, I would recommend a robust cybersecurity awareness program to help educate you know, your teams on good cyber hygiene and build up their awareness to recognize phishing attempts and, and even disable hyperlinks in received emails whenever possible. Uh, second to email, exploiting network system and application vulnerabilities is the next most common mechanism for gaining access to an organization's infrastructure. So having a solid patch management program, updating operating system, software and firmware as soon as possible is really good step in the right direction. Using multi-factor authentication whenever possible, regularly backing up your data and password protecting it offline are also critical best practices for mitigating against the threat and impact of a cyber event. And, and finally, uh, identifying critical functions within your organization and having a well thought out business continuity plan in the event that systems go offline. I mean, you really should be thinking about ways to operate manually if that inevitable becomes you know, necessary. And so um, in order to kind of elaborate, and those are just a few of the best practices, there's a lot of great resources out there. And the, you know, the FBI and the federal government uh, are trying to provide more resources for, especially for small to medium-sized organizations that may not have a robust or mature cybersecurity program. So one of the things, at least from the perspective of preventing and mitigating ransomware, um, I suggest stopransomware.gov. Uh, that's a centralized U.S. whole of government webpage that provides ransomware resources and alerts. And then also CISA has a ransomware readiness assessment, which kind of a no cost assessment based on a tiered set of practices to help organizations better assess how well they're equipped to defend and recover from a ransomware incident. They also have a no cost cyber hygiene service 
to help critical infrastructure organizations assess, identify, and reduce their exposure to threats, including ransomware, but not just ransomware. This can help organizations of any size find ways to reduce their risk and mitigate attack vectors. And then finally, I'm a huge proponent, and of course I would recommend participation in the InfraGuard program, which is a partnership between the FBI and members of the private sector for the protection of critical US infrastructure. So InfraGuard connects owners and operators within critical infrastructure to the FBI, and we provide education, information sharing, networking and workshops. And so um, also I, I highly recommend you kind of reach out to your local FBI field office because when that event does occur, you wanna have a relationship with the FBI prior or what we refer to as left of boom prior to the incident so that the FBI can come in and provide any resources that are available to help you mitigate and, and potentially remediate uh, after a cyber incident. So those are the things I would highly recommend uh, in reaching out become a member of InfraGuard and, and know your FBI field office locally. I love that. And I, I don't think a lot of our listeners would know that, you know, there is the ability to proactively reach out to your FBI field office um, as well. So appreciate those tips. And um, to repeat again, for our, for our listeners out there, stop ransomware, all spelled out.gov, great resource, as well as the InfoGuard program that the FBI provides as well. And as Nick says, please reach out to your local FBI field office with any of those questions. So um, now we're going to shift a little bit just in terms of, so we know about, you know, we know about sort of the threats out there and what we can do to, to prevent them. Um, but we want to kind of talk through some of the challenges that exist out there. I mean, so I know Carlos touched on some of it where, you know, and, and, and Nick did as well when, you know, these are likely industries that in order to be profitable are kind of relying on, in many cases, reduced labor or scaling operations. And so adding technology to, you know, stay in business becomes important, but it also creates some challenges too. So looking down into the future, Carlos, what are you seeing when it comes to agriculture and some of the cybersecurity challenges that that are gonna be out there and, and really how the industry can help? Thank you, great question. I think that they, it revolves in two aspects of cyber cybersecurity. Uh, one is uh, the, the basic of information on protecting intellectual property. And uh, many practices can be implemented to prevent the leakage of information, for example. Uh, by not reusing USB drives, uh, don't posting, uh, do not post your uh, passwords uh, for accessing uh, a specific uh, system of your team publicly, you know, or like uh, very simple cybersecurity measures that come from security awareness courses can be prevented. But from the future, I see that uh, considering what had happened with uh, Rans recent ransomware attacks, uh, meat processing plants, uh, cooperatives. I see a huge vulnerability in the water sector. I see uh, that we, as a, as a nation, uh, there are many areas uh, in terms of irrigation management systems that uh, had been out there for decades and might not be even be running uh, uh, encrypted <laughs> uh, algorithms to prevent the access of it. 
And uh, water is going to be huge because water not only affects agriculture, but also affects, uh, you know, like day-to-day life activities uh, for many other users. Uh, and uh, that is one of the areas that will affect for sure agriculture. And we are seeing uh, restrictions for drought and so on. So imagine if uh, uh, in the very uh, dark scenario of a bad agent uh, having access to uh, irrigation management systems to waste our resources or to hold them uh, and uh, make us pay a ransom for <laughs> in order to use water. So that's uh, kind of uh, how I see it in terms of big vulnerabilities that are systematic to the whole sector. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't even imagine that. I mean, li- literally, if you're west of Colorado, water is truly now liquid gold um, and, you know, sort of safeguarding water you mentioned you know the wastewater side if it turns off but you know if it's you know poisoned or you know dirtied in a way that can affect the you know sort of the water supply as well as irrigation could be you know a national security nightmare so you know related to that nick any thoughts on um carlos's point relative to kind of things to look out for in the future or anything that the fbi maybe has its eyes on as well uh, we're we're continuing to you know obviously monitor through our investigations and through intelligence uh, that we see and and uh, one of the things that the FBI does and and is we do a very robust victim notification uh, type of program so if in the course of you know any of our investigations you know we stumble across one of the organizations within our area of responsibility that's being targeted. Um, it could be in the form of, you know, through an investigation, we identify some malware um, on a system, but we know that it's beaconing to uh, a, another organization within our, organ, you know, within our area of responsibility. We'll proactively reach out. Um, and so we're monitoring these things, but obviously we're, you know, uh, it's not, it's not a, few, a foolproof method, right, to wait for the FBI to come knocking. You need to take proactive steps to make sure that you're mitigating your threat that you're you know decreasing your your uh, you know cyber threat surface uh, and making sure you're you're using you know top notch you know cybersecurity sound cybersecurity principles um, at your organization and so um, I, I think it's really important that you know organizations kind of look to their people not as you know uh, it, we often hear it as you know they're they're the they're a liability to your organization, but I like to consider them to be kind of like your first line of defense. So if you have a strong um, outreach program, if you have a strong cybersecurity uh, training and awareness program, you can turn your um, your individuals, the the weakest link in your organ in your organization, into cybersecurity practitioners and your first line of defense. So I would recommend, highly recommend that you. Um, you know, have those um, cybersecurity programs uh, developed so that you can train your individuals to be aware of the threats uh, and make them, uh, you know, through obviously intelligence collection, um, through reading all of the resources that are available out there, allow them to become more versed in the cyberspace. I love it. Well, I know we're we're encroaching here on our on our time, so I, I want to give both of you the opportunity really to to give our listeners sort of a sense of what you've really learned in the trenches um, and maybe sort of a parting shot, if you will, um, 
of a tip that could potentially help our audience navigate some of these cyber threats, um, even outside of the agriculture sector. So, so Carlos, uh, I'll let you kind of share your um, insight from working in the cybersecurity field that, that you think could really help our audience with, with cyber threats as well. Yeah, thank you, totally. Uh, I will start with uh, a, a very simple practice, uh, for example, uh, now that we are uh, working towards uh, giving more tools to the next generation of farmers, they are more versed on uh, uh, programming practices, uh, creating online repositories of data and uh, algorithms. Uh, the first practice would be to talk with your users that might be very keen on uh, hosting those algorithms in a private uh, repository that it belongs to the company instead of public repos. Sometimes they are like even access keys from uh, you know cloud computing um, mm -hmm. providers like Google or Amazon or uh, Microsoft uh, that could access involuntarily uh, uh, your systems. You can you are basically some of the users because of their naivete they could be posting a way to. Uh, for an agent, uh, an external agent to access your uh, cloud computing devices. So it, it comes from that uh, security, basic security awareness, uh, best practices. Uh, sometimes it's not about uh, doing something maliciously, but uh, the bad actors are actively looking for, you know, uh, Amazon Web Services uh, keys that are in uh, GitHub repos. So. I love that. Very practical as well. Um, you know, Nick, any any parting shots on your end in terms of uh, what people should be thinking about as well? So, yeah, thank you. Um, so, you know, nobody's immune. And I think that's if that's, you know, in my 18 years experience, uh, I've seen compromises, computer breaches of organizations that have the most mature cybersecurity programs that you can imagine. Uh, implement all the technology and, you know, all it takes is one user to click on a link and, and you know, they've been thwarted. So, uh, you know, as well as mom and pop organizations be compromised. So no one's really immune. And so I think it, it comes down to kind of changing the mindset and making sure that there's a, a cybersecurity philosophy out there called zero trust, where, you know, it doesn't matter where you physically reside, you don't trust, you always verify and authenticate on all the types of communication that occurs within your network. And I think that's the kind of mindset that I think we need, you know, folks to, to um, continue to adhere to. It's like you never trust just because they're on your network that the communication or the information that they're attempting to access, that they legitimately have access, uh, you know, authorization to access that. So it's a mindset of uh, cybersecurity awareness, but also changing the mindset that uh, security isn't just, you know, the CISO's responsibility. It's the responsibility of everybody in your organization. I really appreciate that. And that that's very helpful. And, and zero trust is definitely a term that we're hearing more and more of in our, in our field. And I think you're right. It, it's definitely something that needs to be enacted, you know, across every industry. So, um, you know, really appreciate the time, Nick and Carlos. Um, Want to just wrap up this episode by letting our listeners know that stay tuned for our next episode. We're going to be speaking with some cyber leaders in the education and research industry as they share their lessons learned and best practices as it affects their industry. 
Um, with that, thank you for listening. And just a reminder again on a couple great resources to check out. Um, as mentioned by Nick, stopransomware.gov, the InfoGuard program from the FBI. Um, and last but not least, check out the San Diego CCOE website for various resources. Um, that is SD, like San Diego, CCOE.org for more resources. Um, until then, this is Kevin Danino signing off. Thanks again, and we'll be back with you soon. Take care, everybody.